0: From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. From the cold-blooded killing of a young black man in Georgia to imperialist attacks by the U.S. around the world, the present is echoing the past. We speak to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn.
1: Rather than solve the pandemic and spend money on strengthening the public health infrastructure, the U.S. administration is trying to distract from its failures by these misadventures overseas.
0: And we go to the streets of D.C. to hear those protesting with social distancing on May Day, International Workers' Day.
2: They don't want to see the so-called president of the United States telling low-income workers in a meatpacking facility to walk in and risk their lives just because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Instead, we need the resources going to make sure that people are taken care of and if their workplaces are not safe, that they should not have to be there and they should not be trying to make a decision between feeding their families and risking their life.
0: All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, the Senate and some House lawmakers returned to Capitol Hill this week, and by Thursday, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer told MSNBC that he and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are about to unveil a rooseveltian coronavirus aid package for the american people but since this is the same democratic leadership that already agreed with republicans for trillions for the biggest corporations while not guaranteeing universal health care or basic income or cancellation of rents and mortgages or saving our public postal system let's just say progressives in the arena are skeptical that democrats will fight for their base instead of for their donors Representative Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Michigan, told journalists Matt Taibbi and Katie Halper that the slow pace of congressional action does not appear to match the economic urgency facing millions of Americans.
3: One thing I noticed is the lack of urgency. Like I came from the streets, like the ground up, like talking to residents saying, we need $15 minimum wage. We need this, Rashida. We need this.
4: And, you know, do something about health care. And I get there and everybody's like, Wait. And I'm like, what are we waiting for? I hope that we listen and understand that everything that has been broken, every single systems that folks have been on the halls of Congress right there in in the Capitol saying, please do something about this, do something about this issue. All of them are now wondering, is this going to be the moment that people are finally awakened and they're going to react and do something about it?
0: On Thursday, the Department of Labor reported that an additional 3.2 million people filed for unemployment during the week ending May 2nd, raising the number of claims to more than 33 million since mid-March. There are 1.2 million confirmed coronavirus cases in the United States and more than 75,000 deaths. Meanwhile, there is ample evidence, some of which we have presented on recent shows, that the right wing is using the COVID-19 crisis as a cover to roll back or eliminate hard-won rights of working people. Trump's push for a payroll tax cut might sound like a gift to workers, but it is actually a stealth move to further gut Social Security, and Trump and his Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin are doing their best to crush the public postal system. Senate Leader Mitch McConnell is holding up more aid so he can pass a law shielding corporations from lawsuits for their actions during the pandemic. Away from Washington, state lawmakers are even using the crisis to further intrude on women's reproductive health and rights. Chantel James has more. The COVID-19 crisis has
5: highlighted the need to stay vigilant while policymakers across the country seek to use it opportunistically to jeopardize reproductive health. Lawmakers in 8 states have used the crisis to specifically attempt to ban abortion services. On Monday, Columbia Law School Human Rights Institute, Duke Law's International Human Rights Clinic, Columbia Law School's Center for Gender and Sexuality Law, and Just Security collaborated to continue their web series with the online panel, The Deployment of COVID-19 to Undermine Sexual and Reproductive Health. Moderated by Columbia's Catherine Frank, its panelists were Bridget Emery of the ACLU, Esther Kizmodi of Sexual and Reproductive Health Matters, Melissa Murray of NYU, and Quita Tinsley of Access Reproductive Care Southeast. From their positions, they offered strategies on how human rights principles can be used to protect bodily autonomy and sexual reproductive health during this crisis. Quita Tinsley outlined the situation for people seeking reproductive care in the South, as bans in some states force them across state borders to seek the services they need. People are having to travel
3: further and wider to access care, and are being forced to travel across state lines. So immediately, what we saw, what was happening in Tennessee, which had a similar policy in places, Ohio, surgical procedures were not allowed to happen anymore because they were deemed non-essential, and only med- medication abortion was allowed to happen. So anyone who was past the limit to be able to access medication abortion was having to travel out of state for care. And Texas, when we Louisiana are not in our service region, but however, as those states put in their executive orders, we start to see people traveling from out of Texas and Louisiana into our service region for care. And we think about that. It's not just people having to travel. So in a normal sense, when there isn't a global pandemic happening, people are having to figure out where did their children go? How will they be able to take time off of work? How will they not only be able to afford their abortion procedure, but also thinking about gas, lodging, prescriptions, and all of these things as well. And during a global pandemic, all of these things become even more complicated for people. So if your childcare facility is closed because of COVID, really, where do your children go? Um, if states are starting to close their borders to prevent the spread of COVID, where can you even access care outside of your home state, which is definitely something that we saw happening in Tennessee um, with the neighboring state of Kentucky starting to have a stronger approach
5: to combating COVID. The next event in this series will be Rethinking Essential, Business, Work, and Human Rights in the COVID-19 Pandemic, held on Thursday, May 14th at 12.10 p.m. From Northeast CC, this is Chantal Jeans.
0: In law and the courts, the Justice Department dropped all charges against Trump's former National Security Advisor, Mike Flynn. After recently unsealed FBI correspondence proved that agents interviewed Flynn with the intent to trap him so that he could later be accused of lying to them. On Thursday, Gregory McMichael, 64 years old, and Travis McMichael, 34, were arrested in connection with the February 23rd shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. Circulated video of Arbery's death this week sparked outrage across the nation and world. And there are calls to investigate what looks like the latest failed U.S. coup attempt in Venezuela using mercenaries, and the attack by a gunman on the Cuban embassy here in Washington, D.C. The embassy sustained damage, but no one was hurt. Cuban diplomats told WPFW Pacifica Radio this week that no one in the Trump administration had contacted them about the incident or the gunman who was taken into custody without incident. More on Venezuela, the killing of Almad Aubrey, and more with historian Gerald Horne later in the show. Finally, in Culture and Media, Consortium News is reporting that on Monday, a U.K. judge ruled that the extradition hearing for WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange would likely resume for three weeks on September 7th if a courtroom can be found, possibly outside London. Outside the courtroom, a small group of protesters, including Assange's father, John Shipton, gathered during the hearing. Police soon showed up to break up the gathering as a violation of lockdown orders, though the Assange supporters were standing separate from each other. Assange continues to be kept in pretrial detention with Judge Vanessa Baritzer, adamantly refusing him bail despite the flimsy evidence against him, the highly political and controversial nature of the charges, and high degree of health risk he continues to face with conditions described by the U.N. as torture at the hands of his British jailers. And online users who are circulating a video featuring a whistleblower scientist are complaining that the video is being removed by social media sites. The video features Judy Minkovitz, who was jailed, and she says professionally ruined, at the direction of Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and Robert Redfield, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In the video, Minkovic criticizes the current U.S. coronavirus strategy as a scheme to make billions selling an expensive vaccine in the U.S. and around the globe. Some items from this week in history. On May 4, 1970, during a student demonstration at Ohio's Kent State University, protesting the illegal American incursion into neutral Cambodia, National Guardsmen shot live ammunition into a crowd of some 1,000 people, killing four and wounding nine and touching off nationwide campus protests and closings at over 450 colleges and universities across the nation. One of these protests occurred just 11 days later at Jackson State College, now University in Jackson, Mississippi, when Jackson police and Mississippi Highway patrol officers shot into a crowd of students, killing two and wounding 12. May 5th, or Cinco de Mayo, became a Mexican national holiday and now an international one because in 1862, a Mexican National Army under Ignacio Zaragoza defeated a French invasion force three times its size at the Battle of Puebla. On May 2, 2014, in Odessa, Ukraine, 48 people were burned, beaten, or shot to death when neo-fascist radical nationalists, including members of Right Sector and Svoboda parties, besieged and firebombed the Odessa Trade Union building, murdering many of those fortunate to escape the inferno. And there was another inferno, May thirteenth, nineteen 1985. On that date, Philadelphia police, under Democratic Mayor Wilson Good, in collaboration with Ronald Reagan's FBI, dropped a firebomb on the communal home and compound of MOVE, a back to nature mainly black communal family in Philadelphia who had experienced continual surveillance, harassment, beatings, and arrests by Philadelphia police since its inception in the early 1970s. This racist mass murder of 11 people, including 5 children, resulted from the firebomb, as well as thousands of rounds of ammunition shot into the home, driving back some trying to escape the inferno. The fire was deliberately allowed to burn and quickly got out of control, reducing a block of 61 homes to smoldering rubble and leaving hundreds homeless. The only adult survivor, Ramona Africa, was sentenced to 7 years in prison and served every day of it. And finally, remembering some of those who have recently joined the Ancestors, the memorial service for former Howard University Professor of Psychiatry, Dr. Elise Gulati, will be held and live-streamed today, May 8th at noon at Union Temple in Southeast CC. Check Facebook and com for more information. And black music lovers are mourning the passing of drummer and band leader Hamilton Bohannon, who died on April 24th at his home in Atlanta. He was 78. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance, from the nation's capital, I'm Esther Everam. And from what appears to be the cold-blooded murder of a young black man in Georgia to imperialist attacks by the U.S. around the world, the present is echoing the past. Here to discuss more is On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the activist and prolific scholar of more than three dozen books, including the forthcoming The Dawning of the Apocalypse, the Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, late Thursday, Gregory McMichael, age 64, and his son Travis McMichael, age 34, were arrested in connection with the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery. Circulated video this week of Arbery's shooting death in February, and the fact that there have been no arrests since sparked outrage across the nation and world and protests in Georgia. So let's start there with Ahmad Arbery.
1: Well, the more things change, the more they remain the same. This Arbery killing in Brunswick, Georgia, has echoes of the Trayvon Martin case some years ago in Florida, which gave rise to the Black Lives Matter movement. Arbery was out jogging and he was confronted by these two perpetrators. Recall that Trayvon Martin was walking back to his abode after going to a store and was confronted by George Zimmerman, who in Zimmerman's mind thought that Mr. Martin looked suspicious and then proceeded to slay him. Uh, it's interesting as well that with regard to this theme of the more things change the more re- they remain the same, you have this recent uh, Bay of Piglets invasion of Venezuela by these U.S. mercenaries, some of whom had connections to the Trump administration. Interestingly enough, it reflects the Bay of Pigs failed invasion of 1961 in Cuba, also involved being U.S. mercenaries, also launched from South Florida. Certainly, I would expect the House Foreign Affairs Committee in 2020 to do what was not done in 1961, which is a thorough investigation of this crime, and I would hope and imagine that this case would be taken before the United Nations Security Council. Likewise, with regard to the theme of the more things change, the more they remain the same, in the current issue of Foreign Affairs magazine, which is the elite publication put out by the Council on Foreign Relations of Manhattan, there's an open cry for the regime change in Iran. They suggest that U.S. intelligence aid go to Iranian unions and student groups and opposition press in order to stir up protests, and I would hope and imagine that if protests erupt in Iran in the next few months, that our progressive movement does not fall for this latest trick, which, of course, is one of the many tricks in the bag of U.S. imperialism. But I think that the main example of the more things change, the more they remain the same, with regard to this new Cold War that's erupting with regard to China. Keep in mind that the old Cold War focused on Moscow. This one focuses on Beijing. But I'm afraid to say that rather than solve the pandemic and spend money on strengthening the public health infrastructure, the U.S. administration is trying to distract from its failures by these misadventures overseas the problem of course is that the united states uh, borrows billions if not trillions of from the people's bank of china in beijing the problem is that the united states is dependent upon ppe personal protective equipment so necessary to confront this pandemic because of its production in china and there's a real danger that if this new cold war deepens even further It will worsen the possibility of successfully confronting this pandemic in the United States of America. Now, I should also mention that there's another echo of the past with regard to this issue concerning China. The International Monetary Fund is suggesting that China will have slow growth this year, 1.2%, but it will skyrocket next year, 2021, to 9.2%. At the same time, the IMF does not see such a positive horizon for the United States. Now, recall that in the 14th century, the plague in Europe weakened the foundations of feudalism and gave rise to this new system we are now coping with called capitalism. It would be an irony, and another example perhaps, of the more things change, the more they remain the same, that if this new pandemic involving COVID nineteen continues to deepen, it can weaken the foundations of capitalism and perhaps strengthen the Chinese Communist Party rule in China, which would be an irony indeed.
0: Well, yeah, there's so many elements of today's show that deal with remembering the past and referring to the past. Another contributor to the show, John Jeter, reminded us on Facebook that Ahmaud Aubrey was killed 130 miles from where uh, barbaric lynching occurred in 1918 of Mary Turner, who was set on fire. She was murdered. Her unborn child was cut from her and stomped to death. And uh, we have a, a new contributor. I'm very grateful Thomas O'Rourke, you know, contributing some history items to us uh, starting today. And, of course... Nicole Hannah-Jones won the Pulitzer this week for the 1619 project at the New York Times and the project noteworthy as it is has caused a lot of controversy and backlash and the virulent reaction to her winning the award which has echoed the same type of really nasty reaction from the right wing and many historians since the project uh, premiered from people who don't want to hear a true telling of American history. So things changing and remaining the same.
1: Well, you are correct. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones won a Pulitzer for her essay that introduced the 1619 Project, wherein she slaughtered more than one sacred cow, calling into question the immaculate conception theory of the founding of the united states of america in 1776 instead she echoes the emerging thesis that this country was founded as a revolt against british abolitionism which was rising in the 1770s the more things change the more they remain the same because recall that the late larone bennett the ebony magazine editor and author of a book that revised the heroic vision of the sainted Abraham Lincoln was likewise trashed and disparaged because of that book. As a matter of fact, you can go to YouTube and see him being flayed by a panel of mainstream historians. And even worse, just this week in the Washington Post, the bow-tied popinjay George Will. The conservative whose idiotic ideas have led this country to the brink of catastrophe, he weighed in on the 1619 Project, although I'm not sure how much he really knows it was about the founding of the United States of America, not to mention 18th century British history. And I think that what this points up is the fact that number one, there are sacred cows in this so called marketplace of ideas, and number two, particularly if you're a black person you're not supposed to challenge these mainstream theses that obviously have gaping holes in them.
0: Right, and I guess that brings us full circle back to the case of Ahmad Aubrey, shot to death by two men on February 23rd, and those men were only arrested and charged on Thursday, May 7th in his apparent murder. Today, May 8th, Ahmad Aubrey would have turned 26 years old. He was born on May 8th on Mother's Day, his family says. There are actions around the country in honor of him starting today through May 18th. There's a website called I Run With Maude, Maud, M A U D, I Run With Maud. I guess that was his nickname for Ahmad. And you can sign up there to do a symbolic run in support of him and his family. There's also going to be a town hall, virtual town hall tonight, May 8th, uh, sponsored by the National Action Network, and I think there's information about that on all your social media platforms as well. And of course, we will do our best to keep you up to date on the developments in all these stories and news items that we've discussed. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, and as always, thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. This is On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, on the one hand, this year's May Day, International Workers' Day, was historic, occurring in the midst of a pandemic when millions of workers have lost their jobs and many workers deemed essential were planning to walk off the job or stage a work protest about the lack of protective equipment, lack of hazard pay, and in most cases, no paid family leave or sick leave. In D.C., climate and other social justice advocates chalk the street in front of the posh D.C. home of the richest man in the world, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who was asked in a letter this week by nine senators, including Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, why Amazon fired four workers after they raised health and safety concerns. He is also being called to testify before Congress about allegations that Amazon uses data from its own third-party sellers to create competing products. Also on May Day, more than 50 cars and 50 bikers participated in a caravan that circled the U.S. Capitol and the White House. On the ground, contributor Lydia Curtis participated in the caravan. Here are sounds and voices from the May Day shutdown, D.C., climate strike action, the main speaker on the Zoom call that participants could hear in their cars or on their bikes or on the streets was Liz Butler, an organizer for Shutdown DC. Others who spoke up were organizers Kathleen Brophy, Hope Nayer, and participants Patrick and Serge Costin. <laughs>
6: In the midst of a global pandemic, May 1st, 2020, workers in Washington, D.C. protest in their cars and on bicycles on International Workers' Day in the midst of COVID-19.
2: The most important thing is that we've been seeing a lot of people making calls to open the government. This is not one of those calls. This is a call to protect people, to protect their health and their well-being and make sure that the resources um, are going directly to people, that they are actually going to bail out people and make sure that they're protected in this moment. That means protective equipment for our frontline responders. That means making sure that people have access to medical tests. But that also means making sure that the millions of people who are newly unemployed, that that's where the resources are going. How are we taking care of families? How are we making sure that they have their resources? How do we make sure we're not bailing out the fossil fuel industry that's worth billions of dollars, but instead making sure that today on May Day, the people have the resources to pay their rent or their mortgage. And frankly, there shouldn't be any rent or mortgage right now if there are not resources for people. Like that is where resources should be going to make sure that people have medicine and food and that all other commercial debt All other consumer debt should not have to be paid right now, whether that's your rent to your landlord or the mortgage to the bank or your credit cards or your student loans. With this many people at work, that's where our resources should go. It is insane that we have authorized trillions of dollars, and yet most average folks are facing down a mountain of bills and have no idea how they're going to address them we're even seeing states, uh, unemployment insurance completely fail people. And there's too many people who don't even have access to that. So our demands are around making sure that people are taken care of and that that's why we're out. And that we need to make sure that we send a strong message that for most folks, this is where they want to see intervention. They don't want to see the so-called president of the United States telling low-income workers in a meatpacking facility to walk in and risk their lives just because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Instead, we need the resources going to make sure that people are taken care of. And if their workplaces are not, are not safe, that they should not have to be there and they should not be trying to make a decision between feeding their families and risking their life. Or risking the lives in their community. Yeah, we heard we heard the concerns around like, are the corporations and the fossil fuel industry going to get bailed out instead of the people? And right. and that the, this is a really critical point. Is this is a moment of choice? We have two different futures: a future that reinforces the the income inequality and the environmental injustice that happens in the U.S. and around the globe, and actually reinforces the idea of just giving trillions of dollars to people who already have trillions of dollars or we can use this as a moment to remake our society and actually make it for people on the front lines for people of color for low-income workers really make sure that we're protecting people and it it is likely to go one way or the other and that that's why all of us need to be out fighting to make sure that we remake our society coming out of this crisis to work for everyone And that that does not mean concentrating resources and power in a small number of incredibly privileged folks who aren't risking anything of their lives right now.
7: We've tried the old normal for years, and again and again and again, it has failed us in so many different ways. It has failed us with regard to the climate crisis, which is what a lot of the members of this group originally convened to talk about, and it has failed and is continuing to fail us during coronavirus. We have, like Liz said, two choices, and we have to make sure that we pick the one that values solidarity, empathy, compassion, all of us coming together to lift up those of us who we always knew were valuable, but this has proven um, even more to us that society was not recognizing that.
2: Well, and, and Veronica's point in the chat is really important. That's why we shouldn't be asking people to make that choice, right? Like there should actually be in a moment of health crisis, everybody should be taken care of. We should have a social safety net that is prioritizing, making sure that people can take care of their families and that they can eat and that they are not worried about how do they go back to jobs that are not, not health and can't be done in a safe and healthy way right now, or that if they are done in a safe and healthy way, that there won't actually be enough people to make them profitable. So they won't be able to sustain the workforce that they need to. That should not be a choice. Trillions of dollars went out the door. Should have been about making sure that people had the resources to stay home and stay safe in this moment of a health crisis. Nobody should be worried about going to the doctor right now. Nobody should be worried about buying food right now. Nobody should be looking and going, why did this company get tens of millions of dollars when I have no idea how I'm going to pay my rent in a moment like this?
8: So we started at 7th and Constitution. We went all the way down Constitution. Slight Slight left to keep the capital on your right. Um, we kept driving on Constitution, past the Capitol building. Then we took a right on First Street, so that uh, so that the Capitol's still on your right. And then we took a right onto Independence, and now we're at Independence and Second. So from Seventh and Constitution all the way down Constitution, slight left to stay on Constitution, past the Capitol building on your right, and then a right at First, and another right at Independence.
7: Nathan's telling us that you can hear the horns from a mile down. I'm going to message some friends in DC and see if they can hear them too. But did you hear the beeps? We can do it again. That would be great. Nathan says it's a lovely symphony of horns. Nathan is absolutely correct. Looks like we have a ton of people who are all really inspired by this idea of the people's bail bailout and coming together for May Day. Yeah, I think we have a I think we have
8: anywhere from 30 to 50 cars. Yeah, 50 cars. Uh, about 50 cars. Um and tell you about the bikes. Uh
9: Bill says there are 50 bikes. And
8: there are 50 bikes. 50 bikes? Oh my goodness. Okay, we're just at Independence and 14. Oh, now the truck, oh, this is an interesting dynamic. Yep,
9: it's gonna be a thing.
8: We also have the truckers that are beeping now on Constitution. So if anybody was like trying to hang out downtown, like, you know, enjoy the beautiful day. Not so sure. Oh wow, check out those trucks
2: i found a tweet about the bay truckers says trucker truck owners and operators protest on constitution avenue in washington dc um in protest of low freight
7: rates that's what the trucks are there for yeah wow i that's the first footage i've seen of the trucks that's a lot of them Stop broker gouging, one of their flags says.
8: Um, Patrick says we're gonna drive right through them. Because that's... Sounds
7: good. That'd be we're passing the White House. Boo. Hi, we're out here, uh, circling the... Cap- cir- circling and swarming the Capitol and White House because it is May Day. We're calling for a people's bailout for the people to be protected during this time, rather than the corporations, which already have not in and do not We've got a car caravan and a bike caravan and what we're talking today. So we're super to, um, take creative, measures, wear masks, only stay with those who are within our own We're sharing the love with our horns to let everyone uh, in there in the Capitol and the White House know what we're up to And we are sharing a lot of love with our horns.
2: Yes. Um, And I think the thing about today is even in the middle of a pandemic, today is International Workers' Day. May Day is the day that we literally talk about workers who this year are facing an absolute health crisis and a crisis to take care of their families, yet we just sent trillions of dollars to corporations worth billions of dollars. It's insane. It really is, which is why folks are out today demanding a people's bailout. This is the day, the first of the month. Lots of people lost their job last month. For many people, it means May 1st is the first day they don't have health insurance for their families. Lots of other people have never had adequate access to our, our healthcare system. And in the middle of a pandemic, they can't even take care of their families. And then they're being told that they should go to work in unsafe workplaces. And many of these folks have already been facing a health crisis and economic crisis because our system was designed to hurt the most vulnerable people, to hurt people of color, to hurt communities across the country in favor of giving billions of dollars to a small number of people who are not putting their lives at risk at all right now so anyone who's joined today and is like why are climate groups out calling for a people's bailout because people need resources to eat that's where the resources need to be going they do not need to be going to the fossil fuel industry or to amazon or to the lakers they need to be going to people and we have to get creative in a moment like this and so that's why we set up a uh, a safe physical distance protest to make sure that we're a very loud message about what the decision makers in dc need to be doing right now which is they need to be crafting packages and laws that are passed to get money directly to people and all people regardless of stupid status it's irrelevant they are people across the country need resources, no matter whether or not they are an undocumented undop- worker or they're an unemployed worker, or they're a gig worker, or they're in a community that's being affected by the that's fossil funny, fuel industry.
9: Hey, you know, so there's definitely a um, like reopen uh, rally that's going on here. But that's not what these guys are. These are independent operators. They're truck drivers. Uh, who are working class people who are getting screwed over by their yeah. brokers, uh, and they're looking for federal intervention. So, you know, as we went through there, we got a lot of fist, you know, fist bumps and thumbs up, and uh, you know, people uh, honking their horns, uh, you know, as, as well. Because the, the experience that everybody's having right now, like working class people are having, is that the corporations are um, you know, tr- lining up at the trough for. For relief and for bailouts um, and working-class people are are the ones who were left behind. These are the folks who are driving through the night. The FMCSA uh, um, uh, limited the hours, uh, re- repealed the hours of service uh, regulations. So these, these folks were forced to drive 14, 15, 16 hours uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to get everybody uh, toilet paper and food and the other resources that that we all need. Um, you know, so Uh, I've seen some stuff in the chat about them being counter protesters and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I think that, you know, we may, uh, you know, they're definitely not out here, uh, you know, organizing specifically for people's bailout. Um, But this isn't necessarily, you know, I I don't think we should uh, characterize this as an opposition group. They've got a very specific and and very real, uh, you know, gripe with the way that the brokers are treating, you know, uh, owner operators and small, uh, small truckers. I
8: think, I think the reopen sign, the reopen the government sign that we saw, like, was totally not affiliated, and that was, that's a very small contingent of people, and the truckers uh, have their own projects going on, and it's about a very specific, very important set of issues for them, so we're in solidarity.
7: Um, if anyone who's there wants to say something in the chat about why you're out, if you can do that in a safe way, I know you're all driving and trying to be safe at the same time, um, anyone who wants to share why they're out here today, what this means to them, what a people's bailout means to them. Um, I'm happy to read that out so other people in the cars, in the caravan, can hear that.
10: So, yeah, I'll I'll chime in with that. Um, It's to show solidarity um, with those people that are now deemed essential workers. Um, And we need to continue in these solidarity movements so that we can recognize how strong we really are in mass, um, and that's I think the most critical part to this. I think too many of us don't think that we're as stru- don't realize that we're as strong as we really are, and need to keep coming together and breaking the divides, even to those people that that are that are there along the White House that are that are there for for other reasons um, other than our own, um, which are kind of opposite to us but they're, they're not, not really opposite. They, yeah. they have they, it's just a matter of conversation and communicating not to call people idiots and and so on and so forth and, and to argue with them but to just kind of talk like normal human beings to each other and realize that's the only way that we're going to finally come together in this crisis at this point because this crisis is only a continuation of the climate crisis itself which in effect has to has to help all of us come together and realize that business as usual is what's killing us. This is thank a so message much. for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank
7: you so much.
6: COVID-19 has shut the world down, but still we come together and stand for workers' rights everywhere, especially healthcare workers and restaurant workers and grocery workers and taxi drivers and uber drivers who are on the front lines transportation workers food workers farm workers who stand up for you and say justice must be done for you
7: Declaring victory in our action in support for the People's Bailout here on International Workers' Day. If you stay up today on DC on social media, you should be able to see images from
6: today. Woo! The People's Bailout, May Day 2020, amidst the COVID global pandemic. Workers of the world unite. This is Lydia Curtis for On The Ground.
0: You just heard voices of those participating in a May Day protest, caravan of 50 cars and 50 bikes on May Day, International Workers' Day, sponsored by Shutdown D.C. Climate Strike. Here, participants circled the U.S. Capitol and the White House, and they spoke on a Zoom call that everyone could hear in their cars, on their bikes, or passers-by could also hear much of the broadcast. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us.
11: I got to talk. I got to tell what I feel. I got to talk about my life as I see it. Biggie. Hey, everybody, good afternoon, uh, across the world. I'm so excited to be here. Hello to all of our friends, our families, our comrades, our compas. Um, Very honored to be here on this day. Uh, Once again, my name is Philip Agnew. I'm an organizer with Smoke Signal Studio and with the Dream Defenders, and I'm very excited to be here representing for the Movement for Black Lives, M4BL. Uh, We've come together today because tens of thousands of lives have been lost. Families are struggling to put food on the table. Renters are unable to pay rent and face eviction. Essential Mm -hmm. workers are risking their lives, their lives. People hesitate to go to the hospital for fear of emergency medical bills. The virus is spreading harder and faster in black communities, in detention centers, in prisons, in jails, in indigenous communities. Our communities deserve a people's bailout. Hashtag people's bailout. Today, a historic day, where people around the world celebrate workers and demand justice for those whose labor is often exploited. It is such a powerful day to call for a people's bailout. We're here in solidarity with workers who are striking today. People who are calling across this country to boycott Amazon, I know it's hard, Whole Foods, Target, and other big business. We support small business. Whether it's essential workers who are risking their lives every single day or those who are going without pay and are unable to feed their families, May Day today is a day we call for justice for workers around the world. May Day is also an important day where we recognize and defend immigrant communities across the country who are either ignored or whose rights are consistently violated. Whether it is the denial of cash payments for undocumented people or the criminalizing of undocumented communities, now is the time that we unite struggles and show our government just how much we stand in solidarity with each other. If you're on social media and you feel comfortable, tweet a picture of where you are from and who you are thinking of as you watch and please use hashtag peoples bailout, hashtag mayday. I have the honor of introducing uh, a board member for the Indigenous Environmental Network, a member of the Oneida Nation, Turtle Clan. She's worked with Western Mining Action Network. She's a longtime organizer on mining issues for our invocation and our spiritual grounding. uh, Join me in welcoming Sayocla Kindness.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Sayogla Williams, kindness. Um, I'm Turtle Clan from the Oneida Nation. And I come to you today to um, send you greetings and thanksgivings and to thank each and every one of you for participating in this May Day event to People's Bailout. Um, I represent the Indigenous Environmental Network via um, on the board of directors, which is an alliance of indigenous peoples whose mission is to protect the sacredness of Mother Earth from contamination and exploitation, and to maintain and respect our original teachings and our natural laws. For more information about our organization, please visit IENEarth.org. Before I go into my opening words, I want to honor and remember those who have lost their lives due to the novel coronavirus and who have been also ill. Around the world globally, there's 3.2 million people who have been infected by the coronavirus and 233,000 people have died. That's an enormous amount of people's lives lost. And in a, alone here in the U.S., over a million people have, bit, have, um, have actually um, gotten the coronavirus and there have been 63,000 deaths here in the U.S. We send our sincere sympathies and condolences to the friends and families impacted by COVID-19. And we are here today to stand in solidarity with the people as we all together um, suffer and face severe hardships. Right now, I'll say a few short words, which is, we, we call it our opening address. And it's to acknowledge and thank the spirits, the creator, Mother Earth. And so I'll say those in my language. I won't necessarily translate those, but just know that we're giving thanks for all of creation for continuing on and acknowledging our spirits and our ancestors um, in the four directions. So be it our minds. And as we move forward in this discussion, I'd like to take a moment to just mention specific groups that are disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19, including the sick, the unemployed, the poor, the homeless, the veterans, the hungry, the people of color, the frontline workers, especially the undocumented workers, the food workers who most likely won't get the $1,200 stimulus package who um, may not qualify for unemployment benefits and who still lack adequate protective gear in the work that they do. To the policemen, the firemen, the first responders, The worldwide refugee um, population is at 65.6 million. People who've been forcibly displaced, violence, prisons, human rights violations, um, prisoners who face overcrowding facilities, um, inadequate health care, the LGBTQ2I and two-spirited questioning community, The elders in the care homes and the 574 federally recognized tribes in the U.S. who have yet to receive the $8 billion in COVID-19 stimulus money that was issued under the CARES Act on April 27th, over one month ago. These delays are costing the lives of Native Americans Indigenous people who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 economically and via because of chronic lack of essential resources in their communities, the health care and a lack of running water um, is impacting the Diné people, the Navajo Nation, um, severely down in um, Arizona and New Mexico, and we wanted to mention them here today because they have the most cases of the coronavirus. And so this People's Bailout um, is about moving forward in a new way, in a different way that puts the people first. And so I'm honored to be a part of this event. And I thank you for honoring the indigenous people. Um, including us at the forefront of this movement, because we are holding it down on the front lines and we are, di- we are impacted as well in our communities up in Canada, which is the farthest most territory to the North is called Nunavut. Mm. And it's almost a hundred percent indigenous. They had their first case of coronavirus, hmm. Um And, to to think about those communities above the tree line that don't have running water or portable water in this crisis who face shortages in housing. They have to fly in their healthcare uh, workers to their communities um, and they show up maybe once a month. Um, To to know that the coronavirus is now reaching them, it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. And so I call on the leaders and, our, and I'm thankful to our, our tribal leaders who are fighting to get that um, COVID-19 monies um, out, to the, out to all the nations. Yeah. We're calling on for the just economy and the green transition, the solutions lie with the people. And we right. can have a different way of moving forward.
0: You just heard Philip Agnew and Sayokla kindness. Two organizers participating in the National People's Bailout virtual program on May 1st, International Workers Day. And they were connected with uh, the D.C. local activists for that bailout action. And that will do it for today's show. This episode of On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Special thanks to Chantel James, Lydia Curtis, Thomas O'Rourke, and Gerald Horne. You can contact us, work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On The Ground Show. And check out our new podcast on Apple, Android, and many other formats. It's On The Ground with Esther Ivarum, and the with is just the letter W, so On The Ground, W, Esther Ivarum. And it has a picket sign with a green lettering that says on the ground. So you can subscribe and, you know, give us like those five stars. A nice review. The music we played this hour included and Foot Stomping Music, Robert Glasper, Jellies the beaner, and DJ Premier, Kickin' the Door, a remix of The Notorious B.I.G. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Fight the power.